When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by Kindle Unlimited. Read as much as you want from over a million books and 5,000 audiobooks with Kindle Unlimited. Enjoy Kindle Unlimited on any device with the Kindle app and read anytime, anywhere. Books may be added and removed from time to time, but with a variety of genres and titles, you're sure to find your favorite next read. For a limited time, get two months of Kindle Unlimited for just 99 cents by visiting amazon.com slash all the books. That's amazon.com slash all the books to get two months of Kindle Unlimited for just 99 cents. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 207, and today we are talking about books being released on May 7th, 2019, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hello. I feel like I'm coming to you from both the future and the past. It's very confusing today. I know. We're recording this super early, so it's all very, very confused. Um, yes. 207! 207! That's the area code of Maine. Like oh, the whole, is it? The whole entire state. We have one area code. I think there's, know, only, there's only a few states that have that. I did not know that that's the Maine area code, even though, you know, I talk to people in Maine because silly cell phones. I have no idea what yeah. your phone number actually is. No, I would have no idea what the area code is. Although every once in a while, I imagine like how the entire population of the state that I live in is the same as the city that you live in. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. And the area code of Richmond is 804, so we have, like, 600 more episodes to go (laughs) before we get there. All right. So, a few more months. Yeah. Yeah, no time at all. We'll get there. (laughs) Would you say seven or eight years? Probably, yes. Would you like to hear about the seven or eight deaths (gasps) of Stella Fortuna? I see you, and yes, I would. Awesome. I'm excited to talk about this book. Uh, so, my first pick is this amazing novel from Julia Grames. It's called The Seven or Eight Deaths of Stella Fortuna. This is her first novel. It's amazing. I'm so excited for her. She works for Soho Press, and oh, cool. I've you know, worked with her like doing other stuff for their press, and this is a huge novel. It's amazing. Um, before I get into the description of the book, I do want to mention trigger warnings uh, in the book for sexual assault, violence against children, violence in general, if that's something that you're sensitive to. Um, you might want to skip that. Uh, but this is this epic generational novel, but it's based around this woman named Stella Fortuna. So when the book opens, we're in present-day Connecticut, and there's a family member telling the story. We don't exactly know who it is. But Stella Fortuna lives in a house by herself in Connecticut, and across the street lives her sister Tina, who she has not talked to in 30 years. She has not spoken to her in 30 years. Uh, something happened to Stella. She had an accident, and when she woke up from her accident, she never talked to her sister again. And so we're trying to find out, like, what happened. Every day, Tina makes her lunch. She brings it over to her. She leaves it at her house. Like, she takes care of her sister, her older sister, Stella. But they don't speak. So now we go back in time, and it's it's Italy at the turn of the century, of the 20th century, and her parents are Antonio and Assunta. And it's just, like, the usual 
he's he's this very macho, horrible guy. Um, she's, you know, a young woman who in need of a husband, and so they get married. Um, he's not very good to her mother. Uh, he just keeps getting her pregnant, even though it's nothing that she, she wants. She wants to be left alone. Um, and, and it's like, you know, there's the war, and he goes off to war, and she's, like, at home with a baby, and she's starving, and she's making do. He's gone for, you know, several years, and then he comes back, and, you know, it's the same thing. Like, he just keeps her pregnant, and she keeps having children, and and then he goes, he decides he's going to go to America and, like, try to make his way for his family. And so now Stella's mother is psyched because he's gone, and she has this very strong support system of women in her town, like her, her sisters and her mother. Um, but they're all kind of, like, in the same position where, like, they're very strong and and they work very hard, but, you know, they're women, so they don't get a say in anything. Um, and so now Stella is a young woman, and it is called the Seven or Eight Deaths of Stella Fortuna because she comes very close to dying seven or eight times. And in, like, very horrible ways. Um, each chapter is, is titled, uh, you know, Burns, Evisceration, Ooh. Drowning, Ooh. Bludgeoning. It just keeps going on and on. And her mother thinks she might be cursed. Or, or maybe, like, haunted, like something is happening to her. But other than these horrible things that, that take place, um, Stella is a very strong, independent woman. She does not like her father. When he comes back to visit, she can tell that he's a terrible man. He does awful things to her mother. She doesn't want marriage. She doesn't want children. She doesn't want to get involved with that. She's happy when he's gone. Um, but eventually, he sends for them after, like, not having heard from him for many, many, many years. And it's, it's kind of like the house of spirits in a way. In that not much good is going to happen to these women. Um, there's war. They have their hearts broken. There's abuse. There's assault. Um, the the descriptions of these things are very blunt and matter-of-fact because that is exactly how it happens in the book. It's just something that they have to deal with. And it's about how they persevere and survive. And then on the other hand, the it's also the mystery of, you know, what happens when Stella gets to America and why did she stop talking to her sister Tina and it's just, it's gorgeous and sad and just, fan, it's a fantastic, fantastic debut. So again, it is called The Seven or Eight Deaths of Stella Fortuna, and it is by Juliette Grames. All right. I'm going to follow that up with a feel-good read. All right. Okay. So my first pick this week is Somewhere Only We Know by Maureen Gu. One of the delights of my reading life lately has been YA romances, and this made me so happy. It's about a teenage K-pop star. Her name is Lucky, and it opens – the whole story happens in like 24 hours, and I also love a book that does that well. So it's like late in the evening. Lucky has just performed in front of thousands of fans in Hong Kong. She's getting ready to go on one of the big night shows in America, which is supposed to be the breakout performance of her career to cross her over from just her fans in Asia to being an an international pop star. Um, But she is in her hotel room. She is sad about some things. She has already taken her sleeping pills, but she is dying for a burger. And so she like shuffles out of the hotel sort of in a haze um, wearing, I'm pretty sure she's wearing her hotel slippers. Um, She ends up on a tourist bus and this guy named Jack um, is sitting next to her and he's concerned about what's going on with this girl uh, who seems to be drunk and they end up hanging out for the evening. She passes out and he takes care of her. It's kind of a shady situation. Um, And they spend the next 24 hours 
hanging out together. This is all made complicated by the fact that Jack is supposed to be like gearing up for a financial career. He's interning at his dad's company, but he doesn't want to do that. On the side, he is a paparazzi photographer. And he has cooked up a plan that he's going to hang out with Lucky for these 24 hours. And he's stealthily taking pictures of her the whole time. She doesn't know. And he's then going to like publish a story that's going to make him a lot of money and break out his career. But of course, over the course of the 24 hours, as he like takes her around Hong Kong and shows her parts of the city that she's never seen before, and she gets to experience like being a real teenager and having a crush on a boy, they fall for each other. And he's not so sure that he can go through with it. Um, it's fun and light, but not insubstantial because they're both dealing with the kind of real issues that not just teenagers that young adults deal with, but um, also you're looking at some stuff around fame and parental expectations. I just thought it was great. It's a great young adult novel. It's called Somewhere Only We Know by Maureen Gu. All right. Yeah. How would you like to hear about another sponsor? Yes, please. Okay. Our next sponsor this week is Always Smile by Alice Kuipers. 17-year-old Carly Allison had it all. She was on the edge of fame as a singer and was reaching for the highest levels as a competitive skater, but her world came crashing down when she was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer in her trachea. Faced with an uncertain future, Carly rose to the challenge and she performed on television for an audience of millions. Now her memory lives on in the countless people that she touched with her courage. Bestselling author Alice Kuipers weaves their stories together with the blog Carly kept in the final months of her life and her personal rules for living well in the worst of times. So that is Always Smile by Alice Kuipers. It's available wherever books are sold or you can find a link in the show notes. All right. My next pick is also a romance. It is not a young adult romance. It <laughs> is for grown-ups. And it is The Bride Test by Helen Huang. Uh, she wrote The Kiss Quotient, which was fabulous. Mm -hmm. And we all read last year. I think everyone read that book. Yes. And she is back. This is an own voices novel. Um, Helen Huang is on, she has a autism spectrum disorder, which she discusses like in the back of the book. And one of the main characters in The Bride Test, Kai, he has he has the same disorder. Um, he is a handsome fella living in California. Um, he's upset because he knows that he doesn't think that he's capable of feeling anything. He doesn't think that he has emotions. And sometimes people say things to him that make him think he doesn't have emotions. You know, like when he doesn't cry at a funeral. And he thinks that there's something wrong with him. And he just, he's an accountant and he just does his job and he's very smart. But he's never really had a relationship. He's, he doesn't think he's going to ever have one. Um, and now across the world... We have Esme, who is a cleaning lady working in Vietnam. She's working in a hotel, and this one day, this woman comes into the bathroom where she's cleaning and starts talking to her, this older woman. And she says, you know, uh, I want you to marry my son, after like five minutes of talking to this woman. And Esme's like, um, what? And she's like, my son, he lives in California. I think you would be perfect for each other. Um, you know, I need someone to to marry him and have children. Like, it's he's he's never going to do it on his own, and I think you can change his mind. And you know, you seem perfect. And you know, he doesn't he doesn't want to have children, um, but you know, I want him to get married. And so, Esme, as it turns out, has a daughter. She had a daughter um, with a gentleman who was married. It was unfortunate. You know, the father is no longer in the picture, um, and so she's like, I, I don't really know. So then the woman whips out a picture of her son, and he's a snack. And she's like. <laughs> okay. Uh, so she goes home and she tells her mom and her mother, um, who actually, Esme's father, was the result of a brief love affair that her mother had with an American. 
um, she says, you need to do this. She said, because not only is this a great opportunity for you and for your daughter, you know, this man is wealthy and, you know, you can go to America and it's much better than, you know, living here. Um, but your father is in California somewhere. Like we know his name is Phil and we know he has green eyes and good luck. And so she's like, okay. So she decides to go to California. She does not tell Kai that she has a child. She meets him. He's like, whoa, she's really attractive. Now, first, let me back up for a second. His mother, his mother basically comes over and is like, hey, um, clean up your house a little bit uh, because this woman's coming to stay with you for the summer and you're getting married uh, at the beginning of August. Or if you don't get married, she's going back. And he's like, what? But she talks him into it. She's like, just do this for me and I promise I will never try to make you marry anybody else ever again. So he's like, okay. So now, fast forward back to the airport. He picks up this woman. She's incredibly attractive. You know, and there's this attraction between them. And so she goes and she stays at his house and she's like trying to figure out like, what she can do to entice him. You know, her mother was basically like, you know, do everything that you possibly can think of to get him to marry you. Um, so she's like, you know, she's dressing sexy and she's wiggling around and, you know, and she's trying to figure it out. And, you know, he's like going crazy because he's attracted to her, but he's like, you know, this isn't going to work out for us. Um, you know, why, does, why isn't she marrying my brother? He has an older brother. He's like, he's, she's much better suited for him. And he doesn't think that he'll ever be able to return her affection uh, for him. So... He's like, this isn't going to work. However, because they are consenting adults, they decide that they are going to bang it out. Oh, can I say bang it out? I don't know. They decide that <laughs> they are... You can totally say bang it out. I'm making that rule now. <laughs> um, so they, they decide that, you know, they're going to get it on. And there are some hot, hot scenes. Um, it's really fun because it's like those ridiculous scenes in movies where it's like, Here's a reason why one of us needs to end up naked in the closet with another one. Like, oh, how did that happen? You know, or like, oh, the shower's broken, so let me come into your room, like, wet and in a towel. Like, it's, you know, stuff like that. Um, but it's like, will they ever get together? You know, will will he ever, you know, return her affection? And will she ever find her father? Like, in between, like while this is going on, she's looking for her dad. Um, so... It's it's really it's really cute. It's really fun. I might have liked it a little more than the kiss question. I don't know. Ooh. Um, and again, smoking hot. So uh, yeah, this is a book for grownups, um, but not like graphic, but like definitely Sizzly. on the page. So um, it's really really fun. It is called The Bride Test, and it's by Helen Huang. I am so excited to read that. I'm going to be on vacation next week, and that's why we're recording this early, and that is on my list for the flight. <laughs> Even though reading steamy things on airplanes surrounded by strangers is always like a double-edged sword. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my next pick this week is The Art of Noticing, 131 Ways to Spark Creativity, Find Inspiration, and Discover Joy in the Everyday. It's by Rob Walker. Uh, this is a, a small book. It's beautifully illustrated, and it's about essentially like paying better attention in life. Um, there's, as the title indicates, 131 like small activities, little playful exercises that Walker suggests to help you like think more clearly, listen better, um, feel more creative, bring more creativity to the workplace and also to your personal life and just like sort of feel more plugged in to things. And he talks about things like taking, like there's a lot of mindfulness stuff in here. So if that is a language that you speak already or practices that you already have in your life, like not all of this will be totally new, but I think that's also fine. It's great to be reminded of these things and sometimes just to get new strategies for like um, take a walk and try to notice one new thing on your walk that you haven't noticed, you know, on that same path that you 
go on every day. Um, Or on your drive to work, try to notice one new thing each day that you haven't noticed before. And those kinds of things are like take a mindful shower um, or unitasking, like only do one thing at a time. I don't know how many times we're going to have to have like creativity and productivity experts tell us that the secret really is to only do one thing at a time because multitasking doesn't actually work. Um, but Rob Walker revisits that here. And so this is really about like gathering your attention, having focused attention, um, finding little moments of joy in the day, just like things you can pay attention to that will make your day nicer. Um, So both about learning how to notice more and like better and deeper, but that the products of that noticing and being plugged in are that you'll feel better. I really liked it. Um, The illustrations make it really lovely. And I kept like in the perfect 2019 dilemma. I kept wanting to like Instagram photos of the pages. And it was like, wait, but this whole book is about, you know, like not being so attached to your phone, <laughs> being more plugged into the real world, um, which is probably another good reason that I needed a book like this. Um, so that's The Art of Noticing. I think it would make a lovely gift for um, a graduate if that's a thing that you're if that's a person that you're buying for um, in the coming months, or maybe even like moms and dads for Mother's and Father's Day. Um, but it's something that I think I'm just going to like hold on to and dip in and out of. So um, The Art of Noticing by Rob Walker. All right. Mm-hmm. My next pick, I could probably tell you about this for like 10 hours. Ooh. It's one of those nonfiction books that I could just go on and on and on and on. I'm going to try not to do that. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um my next pick is The Furious Hours, Murder, Fraud, and the Last Trial of Harper Lee by Casey Sepp. Oh, boy. Um, before we get started, trigger warning, this is a true crime book, so, you know, descriptions of actual violence and crime in this book um, and in my discussion here. Um, but it's Harper Lee, To Kill a Mockingbird, author. We all know her from that. Um, and most people know that when Truman Capote was writing in Cold Blood, um, Truman and, and she was called Nell... Uh, they were like best friends growing up. I just find it so amazing that two people who were such important figures in the literary world like were like best buds when they were young. Um, and so she went with Truman to investigate the Cutter case. Like she helped him. She, you've, if you've seen the movies, you know, like you know how she did a mm-hmm. lot of the work for him. And he took a lot of the credit. He got a lot of the fame. Um, the the book kept being delayed. You know, she was hoping like it would it would help her. Um, and then when it came out, like first of all, he waited until the the two men who committed the crimes uh, were executed because that's how he wanted his book to end. And then he invented parts of the book. And, like, she was very disappointed in him. She was very disappointed in how everything turned out. Um, So now let's jump to Alabama. It's 1977. There is a man named Robert Burns. He stands up at a funeral and shoots the Reverend William Maxwell to death while he's at his niece's funeral. And so, right, this Mm. is horrible, right? Like, a reverend, someone murdered a reverend in a church. Except then you start hearing about this reverend um, and how five of his relatives died under suspicious circumstances. Uh, His first wife died in what he claimed was a car accident. However, they discovered that she had actually been beaten to death and placed in a car. Um, his, his brother mm-hmm. died, his second wife died, he ends up married for, to his third wife, who was a suspect in the death of his first wife, so people have a habit of dying around him, and not only that, but dying with insurance policies that he, that he collects. So, it's kind of like this open secret that, you know, it's not great to be the, around the reverend, and that he might be responsible for these, but he is a reverend, and he is never charged with these crimes. 
And so by the time we get to the death of his niece, um, Robert Burns has had it with this guy. And it's kind of like vigilante justice. You know, he's openly hailed a hero because this, this reverend was no good. Um, and so now the man who defended uh, the reverend who was, who was retained by him, it ends up being the man who defends uh, Robert Burns, who killed, who killed the reverend. Um, and now in the 1980s, Harper Lee comes into this. She visits with Robert Burns. She, she finds out everything that she can about these, these cases. She thinks, like, this is going to be her true crime book that's going to, you know, be huge, like, in cold blood. And, and, and it's a little different because we have African-American um, defendants. We have African-American victims. Uh, the judge and jury, entirely white, of course, because mm-hmm. that's how it works. Um, but this is not a spoiler. It's right there at, the, like, the first paragraph of the description. Um, the lawyer, he gets... Robert Burns acquitted. He is acquitted for the death of the Reverend. Um, and now, like, the mystery is really, like, why wasn't Harper Lee's book published? Like, what happened to her book? Where did it go? Um, you know, it had been tentatively called The Reverend, and people, like, sort of knew about it, but it was never published in her lifetime. Um, and so Casey Sepp grabbed onto this case. She heard about it, and she has written, I would say, the crime book of the year. The writing in this book is amazing. I flew through this book. It is perfectly plotted. She teases everything just right so that you're, like, waiting to find out, like, <gasps> about everything. And I just, I absolutely loved this. Like, this is going to be huge. This is going to be a huge nonfiction book this year. Um, so if you like true crime, if you're interested in Harper Lee, um, it's such a fantastic book. So again, it's called The Furious Hours, Murder, Fraud, and the Last Trial of Harper Lee by Casey Sepp. All right. And moving on to our next sponsor, which is a book that I read and enjoyed. It is The Invited by Jennifer McMahon. What happens when your dream house becomes a nightmare? Find out in The Invited, a chilling ghost story by Jennifer McMahon, best-selling author of The Winter People. Helen and Nate take up residence on 44 acres of land in the Vermont woods with ambitious plans to build a house. When they discover that the property has a dark past, Helen becomes consumed by a century-old local legend. As the house takes shape, it becomes a place of menace, a new home that beckons its owners and their neighbors towards unimaginable danger. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so it's like, at the beginning of this book, it's like Helen's father dies, and it throws her for a loop. She, her whole world is destroyed, and she realizes, like, she doesn't know what she wants to do. Her dream is to, like, live in the woods and build a house and live off the land, and, and so, like, they're chasing their dreams. And basically, the moral of the story is, do not follow your dreams, or you will end up with a scary-ass ghost house. Like, that's that's what I got from this book. Yeah, with, with like, little Blair Witch-like presents left at your door. Boy, that so, seems wise. Yeah. Stay out of the woods. There's nothing, nothing good is ever in the woods. Isn't that what they say on My Favorite Murder? Stay out of the woods. Probably. <laughs> yeah. It's so much fun, though. It's super creepy, and I really enjoyed it. So that is The Uninvited by Jennifer McMahon, and we thank them for sponsoring. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. All right. Um, My next pick this week came out in April, just crossed my desk last week, and I'm so glad that it did. It's called Soon the Light Will Be Perfect by Dave Patterson. Um, If you've been listening to this show or if you listen to the Book Riot podcast, you know like I have had a hard time with literary fiction for the last couple of years, um, and this novel just grabbed me from the first page. It has one of the best opening lines that I've read in quite a while, and I don't want to spoil it for you. Um, But you should pick it up. That's why I'm talking about it on this show. It's set in a small town in Vermont, kind of a wrong side of the tracks place. Um, People are not doing super well there. It's about a 12-year-old boy 
and his family. Uh, they are struggling. His dad works, and it's set in the mid to late 90s um, when the Iraq war is sort of just beginning. His father works at a manufacturing plant that is making the tanks to send to the war. Um, and his father is also concerned that there are malfunctions in these tanks that he's been told not to like make a thing of. So he's sort of, he's having a dilemma of his own about that. Um, his mother stays at home um, and he has a 15 year old brother that he's been close to, but his brother is doing that 15 year old thing where he's becoming more independent uh, and is smoking weed. And so he and his brother aren't as close anymore because his brother want, like wants to be hanging out at his girlfriend's house. And it just feels like their family is on the cusp of, something. Then his mom is diagnosed with cancer and everything gets obviously much more difficult. Um, the book moves in, like it moves forward in time in a linear way, but the story is told through sort of snapshot moments of their life over, um, over I think about a year or so. Uh, really over like one summer and some change. Uh, and the family is like hardline Catholic. Uh, the boy, the main character, is wrestling with watching his parents go to – like this is the time in the mid-late 90s when abortion protests were a big deal. Um, his family is participating in those. His brother like sort of gets involved in one and gets well-known around town. But also there's a scandal happening at the church that they go to because it seems that the priest might be having an affair with a woman in town. Like nothing is stable. And he's a 12-year-old boy. So he is going through puberty and like discovering some things about himself that are um, confusing and upsetting to him and also really exciting. And all of that just like comes through so beautifully. This is so well written and visceral. Um, there are just some killer sentences and some really heartbreaking scenes. But I felt so much like, um, you know, if an author's job is to tell you a story and put you in a certain place at a certain time with particular people, like Dave Patterson just really does that. I felt like I knew these people. Um, the struggles that they face are so human and recognizable and so common, but the ways that it comes out in the characters is really unique to each of them. And there are just some lovely and smart and also just like pointed, gutting touches um, of things that happen throughout that I just, I loved it. It's not um, not an easy read, but also not a super difficult one. Um, there's just so much heart here and I really appreciated it. So that was Soon the Light Will Be Perfect by Dave Patterson. Dave Patterson lives in the 207. I knew that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... This next book is one of the best memoirs I've ever read. Again, I Whoa. could talk about it for several hours. Um, I was tr I read it many months ago, so I'm hoping I remember all the details correctly. <laughs> uh, it is about horse race, so I did remember that part. She's not riding, like, zebras or ponies. Um, but it is so incredible. I just, it, you know, you were just saying, like, you know, how he, like, he sort of puts you on the page. Mm. Like, this was so vivid to me. It was so real. It is called Rough Magic Riding the World's Loneliest Horse Race by Lara Pryor Palmer. And so now, Lara was working as a nanny in Austria, not something that she super enjoyed. Um, and she gets let go, and she's trying to decide, you know, what she's going to do. She's a, a young British woman. She sees this ad online, like on a website, for the Mongol Derby, which is the world's toughest, tough horse race. 
And now, Laura grew up with a little experience around horses. Her aunt rode professionally. Her mother used to until her father insisted that she stop. Um, and she's like, sure, why not? I'll do this. Now, she claims that she did not see the warning on the website, which is basically like, this is really hard, and it's the worst thing that's ever going to happen to you, and you're going to go for miles at a time, with, and if something happens to you, it'll take forever for, you know, assistance to get there to get to you. Basically, like, saying, like, why are you doing this? We're trying to talk you out of it right now. Um, and she says she didn't see that warning. Uh, so she signs up to be a part of the Mongol Derby. Her dad is like, no way are you doing this, and she's like, yeah huh and just goes ahead anyway. So... The Mongol Derby is 620 miles, 621 miles long. You ride several semi-wild horses. It's for 10 days, and you ride between 7 a.m. and 8.30 p.m. Anybody who rides outside of those hours, you know, gets penalized. It's not allowed. Um, and basically, you just ride over this really horrible terrain. Um, you, you stay with the people who live near wherever you stop. Like, they just kind of, like, put these people up. Um, and... This is not a spoiler. It's right in the description again. She becomes the first woman to win this race. Like, she does it. Like, having no experience, just determination, and no other plans, she won this race. And, like, like she like she talked to people who did it, and they were like, don't do this. You know, they like, everybody was like, this is a bad idea. And she did it. It's, it's just crazy. That's so impressive. And the, the thing about this race, like, this incredible, world's hardest race that she won, is that... I find it to be secondary to the writing in this book. Ugh. Her prose is so vivid and incendiary. I was saying the other day, like, makes your eyeballs boil in their skulls. It's the, like, most eloquent work about a grueling, frightening experience I have ever read. It's about challenging yourself, you know, testing what you're made of. Um, like, when you have nothing to lose, really. And... Because it's like, it's it's dangerous and scary, and it's just incredible that she did this. Uh, I mean, honestly, I read the whole book. As much as I loved it, I was like, I could never see myself doing this. <laughs> I can't see myself going out to get the mail. So, like, that, that's fine. But, like, I could definitely not see myself riding a horse race. Um, but it's about loneliness and immortality. If you like Ages for Hawk, if you like Wild, if you like books about women versus nature... Um, if you like searing works of nonfiction, if you like feeling like your skin has been removed when you read something, <laughs> this is the book for you. Uh, it is Rough Magic, Riding the World's Loneliest Horse Race by Laura Pryor Palmer. I'm gonna buy that immediately. Oh, you need it. You need it. This one just escaped my notice somehow. And as you were talking, it was like, wait, wait, all of this is yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Because I was, I was kind of surprised. Like, I know that I've been talking about it a lot and how much I liked it, but I was surprised to see, like, you hadn't picked it. I was like, oh, oh. Yeah, sometimes things just, like, don't hit my radar somehow. And I don't know how this one didn't make it, but that's why you're so magical. <sighs> I can't wait for you to read it so we can talk about it. Oh, yes. All right. My last pick this week is the paperback release of The World As It Is by Ben Rhodes. This came out last year originally in hardcover, and it came out in paperback in April. Um, I have had the hardcover for several months. It is the last of the Obama White House memoirs that I have to read. Um, at least like I'm caught up now for all the ones that have been published, I'm pretty sure. Um, and as you know from listening to this show, that has been a project of mine. So The World As It Is 
Ben Rhodes um, was in the Obama White House for the entire eight years. He worked with Obama for a few years prior to that when Obama was still a senator. Um, he was a speechwriter and a foreign policy expert, and he became one of Obama's closest advisors um, for national security and for foreign policy, doing like wearing a bunch of hats and really seeing the big picture. Um, he writes uh, in, let's see, this one is organized in linear you know, calendar, chronological order. Those are words that mean things. Um, and so he <laughs> he takes you through um, the whole trajectory, the whole journey of the of getting to the White House and then being in the White House through really significant moments like the planning of the raid that led to the capture of Osama bin Laden, um, to what was going on during the Arab Spring, to negotiating um, with the Cuban government to normalize relations between the countries, to being in the White House watching Donald Trump, you know, start to seek the nomination and not think that it was really going to happen, and then wrestling with the results of that election and what comes next. And it's just so like, it's very clear that Ben Rhodes sees things in this administration. And just in general, I think from like a 50,000 foot view and the perspective that he brings to talking about the administration and the legacy and the big accomplishments, but also the struggles and the failures and where to go next is so just like refreshing and grounded and smart. And I wanted him to talk to me forever. Um, and then I found out that I could listen to him on podcast. God Saves the World, which is the um, foreign policy-focused podcast that some of the Obama staffers started. Um, so I just loved it. Like I have been saying, I'm, I didn't save this one for last for any reason. It's just the last of the memoirs that I got to. And I think it is the overall best one, if this is a verdict that you're interested in hearing. like um, There are some funnier ones. Thanks, Obama by David Litt is really funny. From the Corner of the Oval by Beck Dory Stein is really gossipy and personal and fun and interesting. And she was not a political person. She was an outsider who got hired to be a transcriptionist. So that perspective was fun to read. Um, Alyssa Master Monaco's books have been really fun coming out and, and interesting and useful. But like, I think if you were going to read one memoir by someone out of the Obama White House um, so far, The World As It Is by Ben Rhodes is the best one overall. I loved it. I read it really quickly for being a book that's almost 500 pages. Um, he does a wonderful job of explaining complex foreign policy in language that people who aren't foreign policy experts can appreciate and understand. And I really valued that as well. Um, it's just really excellent. And it's out in paperback. So, you know, no excuses for not putting it in your backpack on your next trip. Um, so that's The World As It Is by Ben Rhodes. All right. Okay. I just want to mention that I have four pages of titles of books that are coming out today. Whew. It is a huge, huge new release day. Yeah. Huge. It's just, it's insane. It's, it's so many. Also, I just realized when this airs, I will be heading to New York to see Craig Ferguson because he that's exciting. has a memoir that's coming out today, which I did not get an advanced copy of, but I, I'm not going to take it from him. I actually, it's like a ticketed event. I'm not just going to mm. go to New York and take it away from him. Like, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, in the pantheon of... Uh... Your author experiences showing up to just take a book from Craig Ferguson might not even be the weirdest thing. It is true. Yeah. <laughs> I would probably spill something on him and then take his book. That so those happen. are, <laughs> or offer to bite him. 
or whatever. Yeah. Well, uh, hey, that, that offer's always on the table. <laughs> anyway, moving on. <laughs> moving on. Those are our new and recent releases. <laughs> what are you reading next? I will be reading A Song for a New Day by Sarah Pinsker, which is a novel that comes out in September. Super excited about this one. Uh, she wrote the story collection I talked about a few weeks ago called Sooner or Later Everything Falls into the Sea. This is about a future where people are no longer allowed to congregate in groups out in public, which sort of puts an end to concerts. Um, and it's about, I believe, a musician and like what they do in those circumstances. Um, so it sounds awesome. She was amazing. Mm. I loved her story collection, so I'm so excited for this. What are you going to read next? I have just started The Best Cook in the World by Rick Bragg. Um, it just came out in paperback, and I love food writing. This is both food writing and also an ode to someone's mama, which I really love. This is Rick Bragg. He wrote all over but The Shoutin' and many other things, and he's a Southern newspaper columnist. Um, and this is a book about his mom and Southern cooking and his mom as an expert in like homemade real Southern cooking. It's one of those food books that's like 90% narrative 10% recipes. And I love that. I've never read him before, which makes me feel like a failed Southerner. Um, but this was like, I have read the first two pages of this book out loud to several people in the last week, like I forced it on them, because it's some of the best writing about food and cooking that I've ever encountered um, about his mother's cooking and how she came to it and what cooking means in their family. It's so, so good. Uh, Jeff O'Neill here at Book Riot recommended it to me. Uh, and he said he listened to it on audio. I believe it would be excellent on audio. Um, it's just super long and I'm a really slow audio listener. So I want to spend time with it quickly. I'm reading it in print. Um, but if you're looking for a new audio book and that sounds like your jam, I would go with it on audio. It's so good. I can't wait to finish it. Wow. We did it. Mm -hmm. We did it. It (laughs) To be here with you in the past and the future. Yes. (laughs) All right. Well, that's it. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty, although it's easier to find me these days on Instagram, and that's the same handle. Uh, And if you want to leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, that helps other people find their way to us as well. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.